As we get ready for God's word, just say a quick prayer in your heart, asking the Spirit to prepare your heart for his word. Would you do that? Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their own crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning to us, Lord God. It is a word of comfort and a word of challenge. Lord, you comfort us with the fact that you surround us like the hills surround Jerusalem, that you're ever faithful and ever good to us, and that you have good planned for us. And then you challenge us, Lord, that uh, in times of unrighteousness and wickedness all around us, Lord, that we are to remain faithful. And so, Lord, we ask for your help and for your courage, for your comfort to to do that. Uh, Lord, we know that we cannot do it without you. You know, this word says something about the good, um, good will come to them, and we know that we have no good in us, that all our good comes from Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for that, for your goodness in us. And Lord, we ask that you would again strengthen and encourage us to walk in faithfulness. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to hear your word this morning, I just pray that your spirit would be with us and bless us. We are at your mercy to receive your word. We can't do it on our own. It is a work that you must do in us. And so would you prepare our hearts to receive your word from Colin this morning. And then for Colin this morning, Lord, I just pray a blessing. I know he spent hours and hours preparing uh, uh, in study and then in uh, preparing a sermon for us, Lord God. So would you bless his work? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I like to do things step by step. I like logical, orderly progression. So if we're talking about like putting together a piece of furniture, I'm going to follow it step by step. My father-in-law, he's incredibly skilled at putting things together. He doesn't need instructions. I do. If I don't follow it step by step, it, it will not go well. I want to go step one, step two, step three, and so on. If I cook something, much like Steve preparing to cook this coming weekend, I don't do this often. Some craft mac and cheese. Step one, boil the water. Step two, put the macaroni noodles in for seven and a half minutes. Step three, add those three other ingredients. I got to do it that way. If I don't, we got a problem. And because I like to work that way, I kind of have this built-in expectation that at the end of whatever I am doing, the final product, that's the best part. So you're working on a piece of furniture, putting that together, And in the end, you have a chair, and that's the best part. You're doing a recipe, and you finish it, and if you followed that recipe well, which I never do, the best part is at the end, or most frustrating part, but typically should be the best part. I like that. I like to see something to its end, orderly progression, point by point, expecting it to build to something. Now, I also like to, I think, kind of subconsciously bring that to the Bible, And a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, it is. It's working step by step, logical order of thinking, especially in like letters that are written in the New Testament. You can see how the Bible builds to a logical conclusion in a given passage. But sometimes the Bible doesn't work that way, especially in poetry. Sometimes the Bible is presenting the same ideas at different points along the way. Sometimes, like in our passage this morning, 
the, the context for the passage, the, the kind of centerpiece of the passage is not at the beginning or at the end, but it's in the middle. And we see that here in Psalm 125. Look with me back at verse 3. Because verse 3 helps us to orient ourselves to this entire passage. Uh, I love when God blesses us with a, with a man who comes up here and prays a wonderful prayer, except he like preached the whole sermon. So thanks a lot, Rob. Uh, because he hit on this even in his prayer. Verse 3, Psalm 125. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So this verse is giving us context. The psalmist, the people of Israel in general, they faced evil. Now at times, that evil rule came from their own kings. If you follow the the history of Israel, you read of Israel in the Old Testament, and you can read of evil wicked kings that ruled the land, and instead of walking in the ways of the Lord, they followed after idols. They followed the other nations, and they led the people away from the Lord. There were other times that the people of Israel, they faced evil rule, not just from within, but from without. Foreign nations that came and conquered Israel. You could think of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Medes, the Romans, They conquered Israel, and they they instituted their evil rule over the land. And so the psalmist was familiar with this. And this psalm is filled with truth that taught God's people then, and that teaches God's people now, how to respond in the face of evil. Now, you don't need me to prove this to you, but we face evil today as well. We face evil rule. We see in our world around us that evil is very present. And that may lead to despair. That may lead to fear. That may lead to uncertainty. And so this psalm is good for us because it helps us to know how do we face that evil. Whether it's in our town or our country, in our world, in governing authorities, in institutions, in organizations, in in politicians, in public figures, you name it, we we open our, our iPhones, we read the news, we see evil at work in our world. How do we respond? Psalm 125 helps us. Psalm 125 helps us. It gives us three reminders to help us remember what is true. Things may look bleak. The threat of evil in powerful places might tempt us to despair. And this psalm helps us The psalm gives us three reminders. It equips us to think biblically when we look around and we see evil at work and ruling in our world. So let's look at these three reminders together. Here is the first one. Our security is in God. Our security is in God. Read verses 1 and 2 again with me. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So Zion was another name for, it was associated with the city of Jerusalem. And Mount Zion, it described the hill on which the city sat. Even more specifically, the temple. We think of the temple mount. 
So when we read of Mount Zion, our minds should go to the temple. The temple was God's earthly throne room, the place from which he ruled, from which he reigned. There was this steadfastness as the psalmist was coming into Jerusalem, coming up to Jerusalem, seeing the temple, seeing the firm structure of the temple. Remember, these are the songs of ascent. The songs that the people of Israel would sing as they made pilgrimage to worship in Jerusalem. So the psalmist is literally seeing with his eyes, he's seeing Jerusalem, and he's seeing the mountains that surround Jerusalem. And he's, he's reminded in these very physical ways of spiritually what is going on. That, that, that God's people are firm like that temple. They are firm like the structure that the city sits upon, that hill. And, and God is, is surrounding them, protecting his people like these mountains protect from foreign enemies. And so the Israelite pilgrim would have, would have thought, we're safe, we're secure. We're secure because God surrounds us. We are immovable because God is our protection. A few months ago, we were playing basketball. And for the guys who typically play, you know this was like, it's been a while. We've got to get back at it. We were playing a few months ago, and uh, I was guarding my man, and he had the ball. And he went to drive, and I wanted to, to continue to guard him, so I went to follow, and I was not paying attention to my surroundings. And so I went to move this way, and I hit an immovable wall. Another guy who was a lot bigger than me, a lot more solid than I am, which is not hard to do. You can look at me and see I'm not that solid. Uh, and and I, I turn, and I hit him with my shoulder, and I was going full speed. Like I had some, I had some momentum, and I hit him. He didn't move. He was an immovable force. He did not budge one inch. It was like he didn't even feel me. And I went, I, I literally like went back, like I flew back from him. I, I, I hate playing against those guys because they are difficult for me. Like, like I can't get around those guys. They are an immovable force. I, I get hurt when I play with those guys. I love when they're on my team. There is a security in that. There is a feeling of reassurance that, ah, I've got him on my team. All right, I know he'll guard the paint well. I know he'll get those boards. I know I won't be be injured when he sets a screen because it'll be for me, not against me. Well, whether it's a, a solid guy setting a screen or the mountains that surrounded Jerusalem, God protects his people. God protects us. He is our security. And so when we look around and we see evil at work in the world. We remember this truth. We remember that God is our protection, that he is our rock. Remember back last week, Psalm 124, about how the Lord is on our side? There is comfort in that reminder that God is on his people's side. And so we aren't, we aren't shaken in the face of evil. We don't waver. We don't despair we don't give in to evil and participate with it. Even when evil abounds, we know where our confidence lies. And, and like Mount Zion, we are immovable. Hebrews 12 talks about how, how we have received this kingdom that is unshakable. And so as people of that kingdom, we too, we are unshakable in our faith, in our confidence of who our God is. 
He is our protection. There's another psalm that I really love, Psalm 11. Uh, There's a a recording artist who has put Psalm 11 to, to music, and I especially love that song, and so it is just always in my head. I play it all the time. My wife, if you can be sick, of scripture. My, my wife is sick of this song because I play it. I sing it around the house all the time. And she's like, please stop. Some other Psalm, not Psalm 11. But in Psalm 11, there's a parallel here. In Psalm 11, David wrote this Psalm and he is with a companion of his. And his companion says this to him when they are facing danger. And you know David's life. David was a man who, who was, his life was threatened all the time. He faced danger continually. And so this is what his companion said to him. Flee like a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Hear that phrase, upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, David's companion is freaking out. The foundations are going to be destroyed, says David's companion. Whereas Psalm 125 tells us we're going to be immovable. The foundations are going to be destroyed, says, says David's companion. The enemy, the evil, the evil enemy is, is going to shoot arrows in the dark at the upright in heart. And later we're going to see in Psalm 125 that, that the psalmist is pleading, God, do good to the upright in heart. So David's companion is freaking out. He is saying, run away. The wicked are going to overtake us. David's enemies wanted him dead and his companion saying, run away. But listen to David's response. The very next verse. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So David's faith is firm. I know my God will deliver me. Like last week, maybe from death or maybe through death. I know my God will deliver me. God is not surprised. God is not caught off guard. God is not worried about the power of evil men. Psalm 2, he he laughs as men say, we're going to conspire against you. God is not fleeing like a bird. God is sitting on his throne. God is ruling in his sovereign hand upon all things. He is the Ancient of Days, and He is the one that we look to. We find our security in Him. He isn't afraid, and so we don't have to be either. Do you believe that this morning? Is your security in God, is your faith firm? Or are you like David's companion, ready to to flee like a bird? Psalm 125 helps us. What do we do when faced with evil... The first thing, we remember our security is in God. Because God surrounds us, we are secure. So that's our first response when faced with evil. We're going to look at our second response. We remember that evil will not rule forever. We remember that evil will not rule forever. So we're going to look one more time at verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So there is great mercy from God in this verse. The scepter of wickedness. 
We talked about this verse a little bit in our guys' Bible study this week. We, we, we had to say, what is a scepter? Well, that's like the rod or the staff that a king would have. So it was representative of authority and power. And so, so the psalmist is saying that, that the authority of, of evil ruling kings will not rest on the land. And that's an important phrase. To say that evil won't rest on the land is to say that evil will not rule forever. Evil will not have the final say. It won't prevail. And this is God's mercy to us. He's reminding us evil's rule is temporary. Satan, the world, the flesh, Satan's forces of evil will not have dominion in this world forever. Their ability to harm God's people, it's temporary. And here's how that's a mercy to us. Because of the second half of that verse. Because we are prone to sin. If we forget God's rule, we forget God's authority and his sure future victory, we may be tempted to sin. We may be tempted, as the psalmist said, to stretch out our hands to do wrong. So this psalm helps us to keep perspective on the eternal, on the ultimate end of all things. God wins He conquers. His kingdom will have no end. His kingdom is unshakable. Remembering that evil will not rule forever, that helps us to fight against the temptation to sin, to give in, to pursue the cares of this life, to love this present world. Pursuing godliness is hard. Loving this world is easy. And when we lose perspective on the end of all things, when we forget that that God will put all of his enemies under his feet, that's when we're tempted to sin. That's when we're tempted to give in, to lose hope, to fail to be resilient, and to quit persevering. Think about kids and road trips. So if you take a long road trip with kids, maybe talk to the Rons after the service, they just got back, maybe this is an experience they had. If you take a road trip with kids, there's a lot of things that, dis- that, that distinguish kids from adults on a road trip, like, like bathroom breaks, song selection. But the one that especially distinguishes adults from kids is perspective on time. So you're traveling with kids, the age-old question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Why do they ask that? Because it's hard for kids to keep perspective on time. We drove to California last year, Three days, 13 hours each day. So when we got down to like four hours left, that felt like we're almost there. Like wherever we're going, four hours, we can do this. But to my kids, it didn't matter if you said four hours. They've, they've just, that's, that's like four days to them. For me, it's like, okay, four hours compared to the last nine hours, I'll take it. I can, I can endure for four more hours. My kids, four hours is an eternity. Literally just Friday night driving with our kids up to Bremen. My daughter asks, how much longer till we're there? I said 20 minutes. Her response, how many seconds is that? (laughs) 1,200. Does that help? Her response, okay. (laughs) I'm like, sweet. (laughs) I'll start communicating in seconds to you, and you'll be content. Kids struggle with perspective, perspective on time. But we can treat evil that way too, can't we? We can struggle to keep perspective. 
We can feel like the wicked will rule forever. Evil will have the final say. In Psalm 125, it reminds us, no, it won't. It may appear that evil has the upper hand, but it doesn't. Evil will be fully and finally defeated, and that keeps us from hopelessness, from giving in and, and just living in the here and now. Well, well, it seems as though evil has won the day, so why not just live in my sin? And so remembering that evil will not rule forever, it keeps us from living in the here and now, from, from becoming greedy for gain, from envying our neighbor, from lusting after another, from giving in to anger when somebody wrongs us. It keeps us from that because, because we remember, no, we continue to press on towards holiness because ultimately God will win the day. And what feels like forever to us is only a moment to God. 2 Peter 3.8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So evil will not have the last word. From the human perspective, we see how things appear, but from God's perspective, we see how things really are. And this is just, like I'm going to put this pitch in here, this is why we read our Bibles. Because our Bibles keep us grounded. Our Bibles help us to remember what is actually true. We, we read the news, we scroll on social media, we're, we, we just talk with like people in our lives, and we are constantly bombarded with how things appear. It seems like this is the way that, that things are going. Man, look at gas prices, look at how they're rising. Who knows when this is going to end? We see how things appear, but from God's perspective, we see how things really are. We see how things really are. So that's the second response that we should have. When faced with evil, we remember evil will not rule forever. Now here's the third response. We remember that God will act according to his righteous character. I know, that's a mouthful. I'm sure if Steve was preaching the sermon, he would say this much more succinctly, but I could not figure out a way to do it without losing something of the meaning. So I'm going to say it again. Third response we remember God will act according to his righteous character. Read verses 4 and 5 with me. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. There's a central truth from those Verses, God is unchanging. People are fickle. We can't make up our minds, and we are constantly changing our minds. We change the standards all the time. But God doesn't. God remains the same. He is constant. He is consistent in how he relates to us. Those who walk in righteousness are blessed. Those who walk in wickedness are judged. God doesn't make exceptions. God doesn't tweak the standards. God cannot be bribed to go easy on sin. He acts according to his righteous character. People don't. We're terrible at being consistent. Lots of examples that come to mind in that way. Parenting is hard for lots of reasons. One of those reasons is being consistent. When the rules change, when the standards change in the home, 
That makes for confusion and frustration for kids. My kids live that all the time. I fail to be consistent. But it's not just in the home that we see this. Same is true in the workplace. When the expectations change for your work, that's frustrating. People are bad at being consistent. But God isn't. He always acts according to his righteous character. And that's good for us. That is helpful to us. When we see evil at work in the world, we are comforted in knowing that the righteous will be vindicated. If not today, one day for sure, God will indeed do good to those who are good and upright. He will bless them. He will bless them with an eternity of joy and delight in Him. And at the same time, we can also be sure that God will deal with the wicked. It it might not feel like He's going to. It It may feel like the wicked will get away with their evil, but one day He will judge accordingly. I was just reading this week, uh, of, a, of, a, of an example of this, of, of God, please act now. I read about uh, a, a village in Ukraine where a, a, a small village of people, about 130 people, they were rounded up by, by some Russian soldiers and they were, they were put into the basement of the local school. And they had to live there for four weeks in these terrible conditions. It was inhumane to the point where people were dying in the basement but they weren't letting them take the bodies out. And so small children are living with with corpses of people. And a man talked about how he had to literally tie himself to a wall because there was no space to lay down at night. And so he would sleep standing up tied to a wall. And I read of that story, and that is just one of like a trillion instances of, God, please do something. Act according to your character. We're reminded here in Psalm 125, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land. God will act according to his character. Maybe it's not now in his wisdom. I don't see it, but he is all wise. Not now, but one day he will. One day he will act, and one day he will do what is perfectly just, perfectly right. There will be no double standards God will judge in complete fairness, not fairness as we define fairness, not justice as we define fairness or justice. He'll get the judgment right every time. His judgment is perfect. God will act according to his righteous character. Now here's the thing. We shouldn't be We shouldn't be just rejoicing. God, act. Yes, one day you will. But we should also be sobered. Because if God acted according to his righteous character towards us, we would be condemned. Apart from Christ, we all are right there with the scepter of wickedness. We all are deserving of that judgment. It's not just the wicked out there. We too were wicked. We too had turned aside to our crooked ways. In verse 4, the psalmist is pleading. It's the only time that the psalmist goes from talking about God to talking directly to God. It is like the psalmist is so overwhelmed 
at the desire for God to bless his people, for God to do good to his people, that he can't contain it. And so he goes from talking about God and his ways and about God's people to just crying out, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and who are upright in their hearts. He is pleading for God to do good. But here's the reality. Rob prayed it. There is no one who does good apart from God. There are no good other than God. Romans 3, no one who does good, not one. So God is upright. We are crooked. That's what the Bible says. Just before Moses died, back in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses also wrote a song. Psalm 125 is a song. Moses wrote a song in Deuteronomy 32. And listen to the words of Moses' song in verses 4 and 5. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. So right there, Moses is drawing our attention to he's upright. God is upright. Now listen to the next verse, talking about the people of Israel. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Same language as Psalm 125. The upright and the crooked. And yet we see here in Deuteronomy, God is the one who is upright, and we have turned aside to our crooked ways. And if it's not clear enough here in Deuteronomy 32, earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, God is preparing the people to enter the land. So this is the second time that they're on the cusp of entering into the promised land. And God is reminding them of why he's giving them the land. And he makes it very clear in chapter 9 with these words. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. So God literally said, you are not upright in heart. Only God is. We are doomed. We are, we, are, we are utterly hopeless in and of ourselves. If God were to do good to those who are good, God would not have much to do. If God were to do good to only those who are good, God would not have much to do. But, and this is the beauty of Scripture, there's a lot of really really important times where we read the word but, but the beauty of the gospel is God did not leave us in that hopeless condition. God did not leave us to our crooked ways. The beauty of the gospel is that Christ took our place. We deserved death for our sins, and Jesus took our place. The Bible says that through Christ's death, in the book of Colossians, the record of debt that stood against us with its, its legal demands was canceled. Colossians says that it was nailed to the cross. And so the only one who was ever upright, he was condemned. The only one who was good was put to death. He, he died when we should have. And those who were deserving of condemnation by grace through faith are now considered upright by God. That's the great exchange. His righteousness 
for our unrighteousness. And so we sing of, in the solid rock, dressed in his righteousness on that final day. My clothes were gross. I got flowers all over my clothes. My clothes were gross, but, but God dresses us in his righteousness. His perfect record for our sinful one. For those who are in Christ, God the just, he is satisfied. Because Christ's righteousness has been credited to us. So that's the wonder of the gospel. That Jesus would not only go and die in our place, but that we would then be dressed in his righteousness. And so now we stand before God, and one day all of us, we are going to physically stand before God, and we are standing there with Jesus as our advocate. We are found in him. And this same Savior who died in our place, he rose again, and one day he is going to return. And the Bible describes him as a king who is coming to conquer his enemies and to save his people. And so when we face evil, when we are tempted to despair, when we're tempted to think the wicked, the the, the scepter of wickedness, it will rest on the land. We remember, no. It's not the scepter of wickedness that will have the final say. It's not the scepter of wickedness that will rule and reign in the end. It is Jesus. Jesus is king forever. Jesus is our king forever. The peace that the psalmist cries out for at the end, that peace is found in Jesus and his kingdom. And so if, you have, if you're sitting here this morning and, and you have not bowed the knee to King Jesus, there is literally no better time than today. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sin and find life in Christ He gladly receives all of those who come to him by the Spirit. And his righteous record will be counted to you in exchange for your wholly unrighteous one. There is no better exchange. You can't make this exchange at some store here in town. It's it's incredibly counterintuitive. But this is the great exchange. Today you can stand before him blameless You can stand fully accepted, righteous in God's sight. The perfect judge will count you innocent because of Jesus Christ. What a joy and a mercy can be found in Jesus. So turn from your sin. Believe in Christ today. Bow to the King worthy of all honor. The writer of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is King. And he he actually quotes from Psalm 45. And he quotes from Psalm 45, and he says, these words in Psalm 45 are talking about Jesus. So listen to these words from Psalm 45, beginning in verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. When we're faced with evil, three reminders... We remember that God is our security. We remember that evil will not rule forever. And we remember that God will act according to his righteous character. And that leads us not to to look at the world and to say, yeah, you deserve it. But to look to the world and see, we deserved it and we show compassion and mercy to those who are apart from him and pray that God would save them. And when we're faced with evil, 
And we look and we see the scepter of wickedness. Psalm 125 says that the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Yep, that's true. Because Jesus is king. And the scepter of his kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. And one day he is coming back to rule and to reign in perfect righteousness. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are we who take refuge in him. Let's pray together. Father God, we are indeed humbled. We are humbled when we do an evaluation of ourselves apart from Christ. Lord, we are utterly deserving of your wrath. There is nothing good in us. There is nothing we could do to make ourselves right with you. We were condemned. We were following after our crooked ways and we were worthy of being led away with evildoers. But God, in your mercy, in your grace, you have saved us. Not because of the uprightness of our hearts, but simply because of your loving kindness that you chose to show to us. And so, Father, we pray as we are faced with evil in this world that you would comfort us with Psalm 25, that you would reassure us with Psalm 125, and that as we even go from here back out into our, our, our Monday through Friday lives, we pray, Lord, that you would make us to be a people who, who seek to bring the truth of your word to a world that desperately needs to hear the truth of the gospel, that there is hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Father, too often... Evil is called good, and good is called evil. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep perspective, that we would call good as you say it is, that we would call that good, and evil as you say it is, we would call that evil, and that we would remain faithful to you as you preserve us. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.